Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for your big book study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is April 2nd, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on the second paragraph on page 66. Today's readers are Sarah W. on the 12th Steps, Diane G. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Alice M., Angela D., and Sally A. The reference for yesterday, April 1st recording, is 7440. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah W. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. 
the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive overeaters who still suffer, who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phones except the speakers should be muted. Today we begin our study of the big book on page 66, the second paragraph, which begins, If We Were to Live. And I'm going to ask Alice M. to read two paragraphs, and we will comment on the second uh, paragraph. Thank you. Good morning. This is Alice M. I'm a recovered compulsive reader and bulimic from Florida. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. Yes. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. We turned back to the list 
for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. And we're still in this process. Um, You know, we've made the list, and we haven't yet begun to know what to do about it. That's coming in the following paragraph. So just, um, you know, and I could share my experience in in writing this um, resentment, this list of resentments is that, um, you know, back to the basic, you know, the the first principle, you know, that underlies this step, step four, is self-examination. You know, we examine what we actually do and the consequences of our actions when we're doing that fourth step. You know, we examine or I examine what I actually thought and the consequences of my thoughts. Um, you know, but before before we can examine all these things, before we can go forward, uh, we need to, you know, we need to identify them. And that's when um, I know that lots of people do these four-step inventories, the resentment part, in different ways. Some of them put a time limit on it and do them very quickly. Um, you know, looking at the growth or handicaps, some go way back and do a very, very thorough one, very detailed. And, um, you know, there's no right or wrong way because different things work for different people. And I've done both. Um, I think it was very, um, very healing for me to go back and and to write down every single resentment I ever had in my life. And then another time it was very, um, very healing and um, practical to examine the past, like to write down just 20 resentments. So there's all different ways we can do this. And the important thing is to do it with thoroughness and honesty and and to be able to write down these things um, without holding judge, judgment and shame against ourselves. Because to hold back on certain things that I didn't want, you know, thinking ahead, I didn't want to share this in a fifth step, was only, um, you know, sticking a nail in my coffin. I had to be just thorough and just put it all out there again without um, shame and judgment against myself. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. Who would like to share on this? Matt M. Okay, Matt M. And anyone else? Nessie? Okay. Nessie? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Essay? Is that what I heard? Nessie. Nessie. Sally? Thank you. Sally. And um, I heard one other person. Matt M. Nessie. Sally. And who was the other? Bella. Bella. Okay, Bella, I got you. Okay, Matt, please go ahead. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. I love this meeting. Um, this this paragraph is really, I'm in the middle of my fourth step, and I'm starting to give it to my sponsor as a fifth step, and it's like, when I was writing this list, oh, my God, it, I was told by previous sponsors to be as sore as I wanted, to be as mean as I wanted to, because eventually it's going to have to be turned around. I didn't realize how sore I really was towards the rest of the world and other, and other people, especially my close family and friends. Um, I love it. In that state, the wrongdoings of others fancy or real had power to actually kill. You know what? I had a lump in my chest over some of these resentments as I was writing them down. 
they do have the power to kill. They have, they have the power to create a physical manifestation in my body that I felt sick to my stomach. I felt weak. I felt sore in my joints. This stuff really can kill you. People say it's a mental illness as well. It is, but I think the mental fat, um, part of this disease can kill you just as fast as the physical side of it, the bolt, the uncompulsive being, the binging. Um, I couldn't wish these away on my own because resentment is to refill old hurts and old wounds and old sores. Um, they can't, um, they can't, I can't get rid of them unless I have a sponsor uh, who's willing to take them or someone, a loving witness is willing to take them from me if I'm willing to write them down on paper. And I was. And I did stall slightly a little, a little bit on my fourth step when I was writing the resentments because I didn't really want, not because I wanted, didn't want to write the resentments down, because part of me didn't want to get to the harm section because I was afraid of writing certain harms down of something, how I hurt some people because I didn't think I'd be forgiven. And, and you know what? It's, not a, it's about doing the action that someone shared. Do, not doing it is the wrong way to do this, not doing it. So I did write everything down, the hardest ones first, and I went over those with my sponsor first. And uh, it was a really wonderful day yesterday, April Fool's Day, but it was, it was the best. The, the, uh, my higher power didn't play any jokes on me. He was there for me all day, and the day was just really, I had a really good day yesterday. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Um... Okay, uh, Niesse, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. My name is Niesse. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, we were prepared to look at the list from a different angle, and that to me means two things. One is that right and wrong don't matter. I may feel that I'm right, and I may feel that I'm justified, but it's irrelevant. Um, and the other thing is that I that falls out of that is that um, I need to take the focus off of the other people and what they did and put the focus back on me. And um, I've learned, I've been taught, that that's the reason why um, the big book lays out the step four in columns, um, one, two, three, four, um, because it, it's a progression. You know, I think I'm resentful at these people in column one, but then in column two, I realize I'm not resentful at these people. I'm resentful because of what they did to me, the cause. Then in column three, I realize I'm not resentful at these people. I'm not resentful because of what they did. I'm resentful because of how it affects me and my instincts. And then I move over in column four, and I realize I'm not resentful at these people. I'm not resentful because of what they did. I'm not resentful because of the way it affected me and my instincts. I'm resentful because um, I am selfish of seeking dishonest or frightened. So, like, I've moved away from focusing on other people in column one to focusing on me and my defects of character in column four. And that's the different angle that um, I look at um, my life now as a result of having, having learned this. Um, and it, it's really, really empowering. Um, and uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa. Uh, Sally A., please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Bishop View. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive eater. So just to um, piggyback on what was just said, it was so well put, I often look at this fourth step as if I'm holding a camera to my face and it's one of those SLR cameras where you've got these fabulous lenses that you can shift. And if you focus in on the eagle in the tree, you can focus in very tightly and you can see the eagle in the tree. But if you change the lens, if you just twirl that lens focus, the angle of your, of your uh, lens 
of your eye and of, of your mind, you can focus in on a plane that's farther away than the eagle. And this is what the fourth step is like for us, that we have, we hold a camera to the, the, a lens to our eye, and we change the focus of how we're looking at the people, because that's what's on our list, our fourth step. And we're looking at these other people, but suddenly we shift the angle of the lens, the camera of our mind, and we start looking at our part and what happened and what we did. And we, we have a paradigm shift as a result of it because we're no longer looking at them. We're now looking at me and what I wanted and my wants, my needs, and we, and we see that fourth column becomes, what's interesting for me was that my sponsor had me um, take the piece of paper and fold it in such a way that I no longer could see the cause. I could no, look, no longer look at how it affected me because it was no longer about what they did to me. Now I took the piece of paper and I folded it in such a way that the fourth column was right next to the person. And now even the person became nebulous. It became all about the situation and my, my part in that situation and how I affected me. My wants affected me. My selfishness affected me. And so it's all about how we're looking at these things. So when it says here, we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. This is the key to my getting well. We were prepared to look at it for an enti- from an entirely different angle. And one last thing goes on to say here, we began to see the world and its people really dominated us, which, of course, refers to the control that they had over us because they were controlling our thinking all that time. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real. This is really interesting because I don't know about you guys, but that set-aside prayer was really helpful to me because I was living in my head. I had all kinds of conversations going on in my head. I had all kinds of of um, situations going on in my head where I thought you were thinking this and you were you didn't like me because and you were going to do this to me because and you had this planned for me because I had all kinds of movies rolling around in my head. So when it says in that state, the state where they were dominating us because they were dominating my thinking, my sick thinking, in that state of sick dominated thinking, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real. Most of the time, it was fancied. It had the power to kill. It kept me trapped. It kept me locked up. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally A. And Bella G., please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G., and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service. And thank you very much, everybody on the line. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. Wow, it's so wonderful. And it's, yes, it's true. Before I came to the program, I didn't live the present. I lived the past, and I lived the the future in an anxiety. I didn't live the, the, the present. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program. So before doing step four, I, I did step one, two, and three. I learned to, who am I, to accept myself as human, to accept myself that I am powerless, 
to accept myself that I don't know everything. I learned to, that there is a higher power, a loving higher power, a respecting higher power. I am not afraid from this higher power. I am not connected to my ego. And then, then I go, then I can do step four, and I can look at it in a different point of view, to look at it with different glasses. Yes, I have resentment, but I am not in a judging and blaming place. Now I don't want to do other people's inventory. I want to do myself, but not with fear. I know that I am human. I know that I have limitations, and I am choosing to change my wrong beliefs. I am choosing to, put, to, to believe in different things. Yes, today I believe that I did mistakes, and I want to learn to, to behave in other, in different ways. And I am free, free fear person. Yes, to look at it in a different way. Today, I am not connected to my ego that I want to prove myself. I am not here to judge other people. How can I change my way of thinking regarding this resentment? Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And who else would like to share in this paragraph? Kim. This is Janice. Okay, Kim G and Janice P, I think it is. Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? Larry. Anita J. Okay, Larry K and Anita J. Let's go with those. Kim G, please begin. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. In this death state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, has the power to actually kill. It doesn't say harm. It doesn't say annoy. It says kill. But I like the way it says fancied or real. I just want to give you an, an example from my fourth step as well as a current example of, well, it doesn't matter whether it's real or not, fancied or real. You know, when I was a child and I would go to family parties with my mom, my mother's family, I would um, try to be good and try to be quiet, but inevitably my mother would come over and say, that's it, we're out of here. And I couldn't figure out what I did wrong. And Every time I tried to be smaller and quieter and in the corner and not bother my cousins or my aunts or my uncles, and every time she came and said that to me. And it's a pattern of my life that when I go into new situations, I try to stay in the corner and get small so I don't get in trouble. And when I did my fourth step, and gracefully my mother's in a 12-step program, so I was able to ask her, do you remember this? Do you know what this means? And she was able to tell me, she's like, oh, my God, Kim, that had nothing to do with you kids. She's like, my, my, my grandfather was an active alcoholic from the day he died, and she never wanted her children exposed to that. So when my grandfather had the beer that she knew was going to put him over the edge, she would come to us kids and say, that's it, we're out of here, because she didn't want us to see that. So here, my whole life, I had thought that I was a bad girl, and this was because of me, and it wasn't. It was because my mother was trying to protect me from seeing my grandfather drunk. And that was, so that was fancy, but not only was fancy, but I have a brother that's a year younger than me that I talked to him about it, and he doesn't even know what I'm talking about. So he was exposed to the same exact thing, and yet it's not even on his radar. So that was fancied, all in my own head, but it had just a grave effect on my life as if it was real. 
And just to bring it back, because this is not because I'm recovered, means that I'm, I am um, not subject to fan feet or real. A couple of weeks ago, that I volunteered at the dog rescue, had the time of my life. They loved me. They were, there was such praise. I was so excited. But then the next volunteer came, and he had a Facebook page, and he was taking these wonderful pictures, and everything just seemed wonderful. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, they're not going to even like me. Oh, my God, they're, they're, I look like an idiot compared to this guy, but he's so much better than dogs than I am. And I was doing 10-step work on it. And came into work, and the, and the woman at the rescue let me know that they had to tell him to go home early because they were so upset with how he was behaving. So just once again, I tortured myself because the guy had a great Facebook page and pictures and discounted my experience all in my head, assuming what I thought other people would do. That's the big thing I had to learn in my fourth step is that I assume I know how other people are thinking. So fancied or real, these resentments had a power to actually kill. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Janice P., please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. This is Janice P. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Um, thank you for your service this morning, Kathy, and thanks for everybody who's on the line. You know, I, I love this paragraph because there's some reminders in it for me. There's the reminder that I've made the list. We turned back to the list for it held the key. You know, we've done, we've done a lot of work here. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that's happened to me as a result of making this list is I'm beginning to have that shift in my perception. I'm beginning to see it differently. I'm beginning to be willing to do something I had never been able to do before, to start putting it all down on paper and take this personal inventory. So I'm already beginning to experience the spiritual. You know, and what is, where is that coming from? Well, remember when we read We Agnostics, you know, what was our choice to be? God was either everything or he was nothing. And we, if we're doing this, I, I chose everything, that God would be everything, and that I was now going to become willing to let God be the guide to nudge me in the right direction, to follow the dictates of a higher power by doing this inventory. And it says, how could we escape? How could we escape? Now I'm looking at this. It's down in black and white. And I see that it's held me prisoner. It's kept me locked up. It's kept me in a place where I had no choice. Remember, if you're anything like me, I had no defense against that first drink, no defense against that, that first bite. And so how was I going to escape? I could not wish these character defects away any more than I could alcohol. But now I'm walking with this power greater than myself. I'm being guided and I'm being shifted. There's a shift going on here. I'm beginning to see it differently. I'm, I'm being asked to look at these things and these people to begin to see the world and its people in a different way from an entirely different angle. Thank God. Thank God. Because the old angle I was looking at it from was keeping me in a horrible, unhappy, selfish, self-centered place. 
So Bill and those first 100 alcoholics in writing this book are giving me some very clear-cut directions, but encouragement as well, and and a reminder that that I'm in, I'm doing, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, doing just what I'm supposed to be doing. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice P. Uh, Larry K., please go ahead. Uh, thanks, Kathy. Uh, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, how can we escape this bitter, this bitter morass, this, you know, this chaotic state of resentment um, that owned me? You know, my, my resentments and, you know, the, the unpredictable anger that resulted, you know, against family members, uh, a boss, my patients, uh, my financial situation, and ultimately myself, it kept me enslaved. And it was like I was like a small boat tethered by a rope, you know, to the dock. And, and every day I would bob around in the water at the mercy of the rope and the pier. And, and sometimes the water in the bay was choppy, you know, as a storm rolled in. And other times, you know, the water was calm. Yet I remained tethered to that dock on the pier, no hope to be released. You know, was that freedom? No. But my list held the key to the future. Just because I was scared, just because I was uncertain about the outcome, you know, still trying to control my environment. You know, maybe I was on thin ice spiritually. It it didn't mean that God would not effectuate an ultimate change in me that would bring me across the bridge from hopelessness to, to a new life. I mean, after all, I had nothing in my experience to suggest that this solution would, in fact, work for me. Nothing. And yet it did. And, and, it, and I didn't master these resentments, you know, um, that, you know that, that that was an illusion. It only appeared that I mastered that. <laughs> you see, I, I couldn't wish away my resentments any more than I could have wished away my binge foods while I was still spiritually constipated. You know, that was impossible. There was no, there was no chance. But my higher power proved to be big enough for the task. And all I had to do was change as the result of this practical program of action. And I, I shared with a sponsee last night that if one spiritual awakening was merely dependent upon the most crafty among us, the most creative, uh, perhaps maybe the most needy, the most inventive, the hardest worker, you know, there, there'd be a higher rate of recovery in a way, not the, not the abysmal rate that we see. Um, the common denominator with these traits is usually self-centeredness, which leads down a path to nowhere, you know, temporary emotional or physical sobriety. That's not enough. It's not if the shoe will drop. Oh, oh it will. You know, God had to rescue me from the quicksand. And I'll just wrap up and say there's two, there's two ways to be, you know, to, that one can die in the quicksand. You, you panic and thrash about, which causes you to sink. Or the second, you're afraid to move at all. And so you sit there waiting for help that never comes. You know, saving oneself from our disease without the help of a higher power, that, that's not likely. But when I got out of God's way, um, I, was, I, was, I was freed from this this disease. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Anita J., please share. Thank you, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. Thanks. How wonderful. Thank you for your service, and hello to everybody on the line. 
I'm Anita Che, a recovered compulsive overeater living in Massachusetts. I just wanted to say that when I first came in in 1978 to an OA meeting, and you were to ask me, Anita, what, what kind of a person are you? I would have said, I am well-liked by everybody. I bring a smile to everyone's face. I don't harbor any ill will toward anyone, and that was me totally untreated because, and when I say untreated, I mean with the steps because I had by then therapy, but the point of the story is I had, I began to get in touch with the real world and the real Anita, and the real Anita hadn't talked to her mother in 18 years. And the real Anita hadn't talked to her mother-in-law in two years, which prevented her husband and kids from even seeing her. That, that was the real Anita. And um, so I began to start to look at myself. And this process, the first time in the 90s, and then now in a newer, even deeper way, has brought me in touch with reality and the word reality that's kind of funny i was a very i'm a very witty person i used to say my mother-in-law never let reality interfere with her perception of people and everybody would laugh but guess what that was a description of me never mind her never mind her that was a description of me i pegged something that was it you stayed in that peg. What a way to live. It wasn't the way to live. The world and the people, um, that's what this is all about, our relationships with the world and its people. And through God's help, I saw the reality. And you know what? I'm, I'm really grateful because I am comfortable in my own skin. Otherwise, why would we do all this? Look back a page or two ago. You see the chart? We've got to go through that. We've got to bend papers. We've got to think. We've got to pray. Why would we do it? Why? Because this new way of living, as we heard um, Bill says it in his story, Special Edition said it, we're rocketing into a new dimension, a fourth dimension, and the, that's why you do it. It's, um, it's an unbelievable opportunity for me and for you and for all of us. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. And this is Kathy Kay. I'd like to take a turn. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I, what I wanted to comment on is... Uh, that list that we put together, because I've seen um, over the years that I've been sponsoring that people put together very different kinds of lists. And very often as new people to the steps, they ask me, is this good enough? Uh, Should I do more? Uh, And there's often trepidation about making the list. And so what I wanted to say in my experience is that um, whatever you're guided to do, and this is where we start relying on our higher power. So I suggest to my sponsees, uh, 
pray about it. Ask God to let you know um, when you're done making your list. And it really doesn't matter. It can have 10 people on it. It can have 100 people on it. What matters is that we face this task fearlessly and with courage. Um, And that means being open, being honest, taking guidance, and so on. I also, in retrospect, looking back on this process, realized that the first time through it, I learned um, a process and a method and a set of questions that would help me turn around any resentment that I had going forward in my life. And that becomes part of the 10th step, as we'll see later on. So these very, um, the discipline that we're learning in making our list and then taking each resentment and completing the four columns on it, that is a tool that we have available to us in order to live in recovery from this day forward. It's, it's really amazingly powerful and amazingly straightforward, and uh, I'm so grateful that I have that now that I can use on a daily basis. And with that, I pass. Is there anyone else who wants to share? Hi, Charles H. Okay, Charles huh? H. Melissa C. Jenny S. Okay. Let's Judy King. Diane G. Okay, I got Charles H, Melissa, I'm sorry I didn't get your last initial, and Ginny. And was there one more? Berta. I'm sorry, I heard two people at the same time. Berta. Berta. And the other? Diane G. Okay, I think we'll have to stop there. I'm sorry because we need to move on. Charles H, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy Kay. It's Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today. I want to thank you for your continued service um, and everybody on the line and all the comments. So yesterday, um, you know, I talked. we talked about the, the brainstorm and the grouch, and I made a reference that prior to, pro, prior to program, um, I was Oscar the grouch. Even in program, I was Oscar the grouch, and uh, – and my stomach was a garbage can, right? Um, and, and and I just love yesterday uh, that reading that we, you know, we must be rid of anger if we are to live. That means I was, you know, I don't know if <laughs> my kids always want to watch that movie, The Walking Dead, or that TV show. That was me, The Walking Dead. And, um, you know, we referred back to the list, right? And And, and in this paragraph, it's some math. Like it says, uh, I'm going to look at it from a different angle. Yeah, so if I change the way I look at things, the things I look at will change. My God. My God. So, you know, as I said, I I work during the mornings now, so, you know, I can be on this meeting. And, you know, yesterday, you know, I'm one of those religious uh, visionaries. Yeah, I go to church as well. And, you know, some people in the church talk about stuff and some people in the world talk about people in church, and I get it. I get both sides of it, right? So I just want to share something. 
you know, we're talking and we're in a men's meeting, and I was like, and I, I posed a question to the to the leader of the meeting. I said, how come, you know, we hear so much about prayer and we don't hear anything about meditation? And then I started describing what I do on a daily basis. I described a little bit of program. It was like I was talking a foreign language. And they were like, well, I said, you know, I empty my thoughts. They were like, you got to be careful because that might be Buddha. You know, and I had a resentment with that. I had a resentment. But you know what? There was another recovered person in there, and they said, you know, they gave me the eye, and I gave them the eye. I said, you know what? You're, 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 uh, you're, you're more than welcome to your opinions, and uh, that's not my business. I know I'm going to continue to do it. Because, see, if I don't empty my mind, I'm going to isolate. If I don't empty my mind, I'm going to leave my wife. If I don't empty my mind, I'm going to pick up binge food. If I don't empty my mind, I'm not going to be a nice person. So, you know, I love what Wayne Dyer says. The average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. And, and, and for me, that average person, most of them 60,000 thoughts is about killing, destroying, getting mine, ripping you off, and stuff like that. So, you know what, I'm going to continue to empty my mind. I'm going to refer to this list that I made last night, and I'm going to commence to cleaning, my, cleaning them out and, and forgiving them. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks for allowing me to share, Kathy Kay. Thank you, Charles H. And Melissa, please go ahead. Hi, this is Jenny. Uh, recovering Good morning. From- oh, wait a second, Jenny. Um, Melissa is next, and then you'll oh. share, okay? Okay, yes. Great, thank you. Go ahead, Good morning. Melissa. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and um, so grateful. Thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, I the thought initially of putting my resentment down on paper, um, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was, what do you mean resentment? You know, I'm going to put this down on paper. Um, but I had a huge list of resentments. They were living in my head, and they were dominating my life. Um, you know, and it was I was afraid to just to see really what that list looked like. Um, and I was afraid that once I started, um, where would it end? You know, it would have no end. Um, and, and that kind of strikes me as funny today because that was my relationship with the food. You know, once I started, it had no end. Um, and, and I have, you know, God in my life now, a higher power to kind of tell me where it ends. Um, you know, but my list of resentments, um, was frightening because I was so invested in my being right that um, even at first, you know, looking at them down on paper, I was filled with discomfort because now I really was reliving, re-feeling, resenting um, thoroughly. Um, and that was really painful, uncomfortable. Um, because I was living in that icy, intellectual mountain of being right. And that's the opposite of, um, you know, my higher power. And with the lens shift, um, you know, I'm learning it has nothing to do with being right. That was my perspective. Um, and my perspective was so skewed that I couldn't even um, I couldn't even handle how much food I was shoving down my throat. How could I possibly have perspective on my life? 
was I right on something? Perhaps, but right was keeping me sick. And, you know, when I kind of let go of that notion that there was ever going to be a right or wrong here, um, you know, that's really when my recovery began to happen and that I wanted everything to change. And so I had to be willing to change everything. And that included my investment um, in being right. And, um, you know, today it's whatever is in God's world, that's what's right. And it's really my ability to have um, to have acceptance for the things that are outside of me. If they're outside of me, then they're not meant for me to be in control of. And, um, you know, I just have to do my part and see where really, what was my part in this list? And, um, you know, that life shift is really good. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. And Jenny, please go ahead. Hello, this is Jenny, recovering overeater. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Okay. Um, and for me, looking at steps four and five was looking for patterns. And I know a lot of people say that alcoholism can kill you, but food is not that serious. But we all know people that have died from eating at the wrong times or eating the wrong kinds of food, having high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease, diabetes like my aunt. And I didn't want that to be me. But I was repeating patterns that I didn't understand that I was repeating until I was able to do this work. And so we made a list, and it says in this last paragraph that we read, we began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. And it talks about the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real. I grew up learning how to be in denial, how to live in a fancy world. I didn't know what was real anymore. And I moved from an abusive home into an abusive marriage. So I took those patterns I learned young into adulthood. And relationships after that were continuing to be abusive. And my aunt that had diabetes died because her husband said, if we're eating cake, you can eat it too. You don't need to eat anything different or healthier. And I didn't want that to be me. So it was important for me to, to be able to see the reality that there were people that had done me wrong. But if my only tool to protect myself was being angry and resentful, that was killing me because I was not feeling good about myself, and then I was using those resentments to pick up food. And so I needed to see a difference. And it says in the bottom of the paragraph, how could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We couldn't wish them away. And that was true for me. And the next paragraph gives me a tool that says I can start to pray for them. But before I could do that, I had to be able to sort out what was fancied and what was real. Thank you. I'll pass with that. Thank you, Jenny. And Berta, please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you so much. This is Berta F. in Illinois. Grateful to be recovered today, not cured. Um, I just wanted to talk about this paragraph. To me, this is one of those result paragraphs that come in every now and then. They give me instructions, and then they share with me what their results were. And whenever I come across a result paragraph, I change the wording for me to see if I'm experiencing what they experienced after I followed these instructions. 
So when I read this again, I read it and then I read it again and see if I'm getting the same result. I turned back to the list. Yes, I did that. It held the key to the future. That's exciting. I was prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. I began to see that the world and its people really dominated me. So since I'm looking at this from a different angle, what was the old angle? Well, the old angle, before I began to see these patterns were unsuccessful, the old pattern was that I saw that I dominated the world. That's what was before. So now the different angle is, I see now that the world and its people dominated me. I thought my ego and my self-will, I thought that I could dominate over anything that disturbed me, any resentment, anything that didn't go my way. I really believed that I could dominate that situation because I was that powerful. I could manipulate and devise and plan and scheme. So now that I've turned my life and my will over to the care of God, I can see the results of my wrongs, and I can come at it from a different angle, and I no longer have to dominate the world around me. I can turn over so many things to my higher power using this step and have a change be affected in me. That's what I'm after, that spiritual transformation, that personality change, that new way of living my life so that I can not only stop using food, but I can stay stopped. I can become a whole and effective person and be of service to other people in my life. I believe that's what my higher power designed me to do. And there's a prayer that I said when I was working on my fourth step, and this comes just from me, from my heart. God, it is I who has made my life a mess. I have done it, but I cannot undo it without help. My mistakes are mine, and I will begin a searching and fearless moral inventory I will write down my wrongs and my resentments, but I will also include that which is good. I pray for the strength to complete the task with honesty and thoroughness and humility. Amen. And that's the prayer I used as I was going through this process. And it's really helped me so much. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Berta F. Uh, we're going to stay on this paragraph. I think there was one other person besides Diane G. who wanted to share. Can you tell me who that is? Is there someone else? Judith Jane. Uh, did I hear Rakesset or not? Yeah, I think Judith was in front of me, so go ahead. Okay, Judith and then Rakesset. Diane G., go ahead, please. Hello, good morning everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, a recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. And um, boy, you know, today I really needed these two paragraphs and I really needed to hear, you know, we had to be free of anger. And um, I've been through the steps and um, thank you God today that I have been through the steps. And um, tomorrow my husband retires and um, there's a big party tomorrow night. And um, I've had a very um, stressful relationship um, with one of my with my son-in-law, and um, it was you know I all thank goodness I I did the steps and I did my writing and I, I I turned it around and I looked at it to see what my part was in it with this relationship with this man, and it it has been a so so freeing so freeing, 
And so um, my daughter last night, who, you know, it's always been stressful because of the situation, um, called me and said, Mom, did you say everybody was invited? And I said, yes, absolutely everybody is invited. And she said, well, Scott is coming. And my first words out of my mouth was, we'll be glad to have him. And let me tell you, <laughs> that was God talking through me. Because um, if this man destroyed our home when he left, this man did a lot of damage. And, you know, I never thought that that would ever happen to me, that I would say, we'd be glad to have him. And that's God. And that's these steps. And that's, this is what today, where I am and what this has done for me. And, I, you know, I needed a spirit-guided mind. And, and I have that today. And I'm so grateful. And to fear, to read today, we had to be free of anger. You know, we have to be free of anger. I don't want to eat. To eat is to die for me, to die. And I needed to get rid of my resentments. I needed to get rid of all these resentments that I have and, and, and a lot towards him. And he's come up many times, and, and this is the second time I've done this stuff. You know, and, and I'm just hoping that, you know, maybe that, you know, this is headed in the, in the right direction and, and um and you know I, I i am sorry for everything that has happened um but um you know all i know is i can't afford to be angry today am i perfect with that absolutely not but oh god on a day-to-day basis i know that these steps in god in this program is working in my life thank you and i pass okay thank you diane g and judith um please go ahead uh, can you hear me kathy yes i can Thank you, Kathy. <clears throat> Judith Damon, Vermont. Um, when we were kids, we had a saying. Um, rather than saying, I resent that, we would say, I resemble that. And now I realize, oh, my gosh, how did we get that wisdom? We thought we were just playing with words. But when we resent something, it's, we, it's because we resemble it. And with that, I'll pass things. Thanks. Judith and Rakesset, you're our last share today. Thank you. Press star one to unmute Rakesset. Okay. Is there someone who would like to take a two-minute share? Can you hear me? Yes, we yes. can hear you. We can hear you. Okay. Anybody want to take a short share? If not, we'll close the meeting. Kathy, I, I'm here. Rakesset. Oh, you are? I didn't hear Yeah, you. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I had um, technical difficulties. Okay, great. Go ahead. Okay. Um, thank you, Kathy. Um, I'm Rakesset. Rakesset, recovered compulsive overeater in California, and what I what I was astounding to me when I started making my list, especially in the second column, when I started writing down what was the wrong they had done me, I was really astounded to see that almost all of them were not intentional. The people I was resentful towards, the things they had done to me, where it says it's either um, fancy or real. I think that most of them were fancies because these people were not intentionally trying to hurt me. They loved me, my mom, my sisters, my, my husband. 
they didn't intentionally want to hurt me. They weren't sitting down and thinking, okay, how can I, what can I say that's going to be really hurtful to our Catholic? No, they, these things were not intentional. And many of them, the person didn't even know, had no idea, no clue that that was hurtful to me because I never said anything. And, you know, all of, so most of my resentments were definitely, um, weren't real. They were in my head and people just didn't know that, that I had a resentment toward them for something they didn't intentionally do. They had no idea they did. And it was crazy. It was really crazy for me to see that. And what I learned from that too is that when I, when I get hurt, I start to say, you know, that's hurtful to me most of the time. And whoever will, is doing it will stop. And then I don't need to build a resentment. People don't know. They're not mind readers. My husband can't read my mind, and he doesn't know that every time he puts my sister down, I get resentful of him. He doesn't know unless I tell him that that's hurtful to me. So um, I really love making this list. I think it was the greatest thing ever. Thanks very much, and I pass. Thank you, Rick Hesset. Um Thank you, everyone who has shared today and been with us here on the meeting. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sally A., would you please read a vision for you? Yes, it's Sally A. still in South Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him. In your morning meditation, what you can do each day for the man who is still sick, the answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May, you, may God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>